Hello, everyone. I must discuss the entirety of my views on religion. When I think about my childhood all the way up to now, and even forevermore, I am aware of the fact that there is a lot about life that I do not know, do not understand, and, and I'm not able to fully process everything about life. I do understand that it is always a good thing to go wherever the truth takes you and to stay wherever the truth takes you. I do understand that it is always wise to appreciate the evidence and the contents of the evidence. I have learned not to be egomaniacal even when it comes to facts Um, because facts are there to assist in guiding us correctly. I've learned that it's important to have experts to examine what's been presented to us to make sure that we are receiving the correct information. So to get directly to my standing on religion I am I'm, I am so compassionate towards my inner child because Christianity in terms of what was displayed to me by my grandma Clara but more importantly showing me Jesus and his identity did was my only hope in the midst of hopelessness and my only help in the midst of helplessness as a traumatized child. I followed Jesus for the exact same reasons that my ancestors enforced bondage did. 
So when I read about their faith in Jesus, I too can relate. Um, I know that, yes, they went through more trauma than I because the law was actually against them. So I will never act as if I'm the most hurting person between myself and them. I don't believe in deep distress competitions. Um, But I will say that between myself and the rest of my family in our modern time, I went through the second most set of traumas. Theirs was number one. And again, I don't like to put numeration to agony. I'm just being humble enough to acknowledge that they had no rights according to the racists of the time. And I had little rights in my time. And when I think about how I clung on to Jesus, it did it, it was help it did assist me, helpful to me, and gave me hope and that I can be kind no matter what happens to me. That I can be well self-controlled no matter who happens to me. And I am so understanding and comprehending of what I had to do to survive and thrive around that time. So I can admit that my life is the modern day slave narrative. When I read slave narratives, I'm reading myself. I'm just reading a more hurtful version of myself. When I read the slave narratives of the 19th century, when I mean this hurtful version of myself, I'm meaning that if I would have lived back then, I would have had much more traumas than I did back in the late 90s or the 2000s thousands, which didn't happen against me. And um, I'll say this. I 
I understand the appeal of being a Christian that a lot of people experience because I was treated as chattel thinghood. My ancestors too put on much deeper levels. So to read about a God who has heaven promised for you, as long as you abide by that said God, I, it was, it was irresistible to me. It was something that I could not shake and I could not break because when you deal with, we're forced to deal with hell on earth, as to how I felt at the time, it felt like for centuries. My ancestors, it may have felt like countless centuries, but I get the whole wanting to have heaven to look forward to and to have God to look forward to, you know, someone that can answer all of your questions about the trauma and other people's traumas primarily. So that was my mindset around the time. And you're wondering where does the religious skepticism come from? Well, Because the number one struggle I have with any religious texts that are commonly called holy books by the practitioners of the religions, um, it's what's literal and what's figurative. And what to keep in the ancient world only and what to bring into our modern times, those are very difficult for me. Because when I read the Bible, it makes me think, what, what ideals should we abide by in terms of, is it just, okay, what parts are just ancient and what parts are both ancient and modern? I'm talking about how we should all live our lives. So those are my biggest struggles with the Bible. And my second biggest struggle with the Bible is which stories are just stories and which stories are true to life. And my third and final biggest struggle with the Bible is it's all about um, attempting to figure out 
How did the ancient world understand the writings of that time? In terms of humor, in terms of what was serious, and in terms of cultural context and in terms of countercultural context. Those are hard for me to understand when it comes to the Bible. Um, so that's where the religious skepticism comes in. And, um, and also... I figured out that um, in regards to um, how I feel about religion now, I've come to the point where I decided that The concept of Christ-likeness, for me, transcends all religions, transcends all denominations, transcends all houses of worship, and And has endless wisdom that transcends all the religious texts, too. I've learned that not all wisdom can be encapsulated in literature, in traditions, in practices and rituals because there's more than one form of wisdom not all wisdom can be can be combined in a singular expressional form um, for me Christ likeness is exceptional inner beauty I'm talking about Every day you rise above and beyond to be of empathy towards yourself, towards others, and especially those who differ from you in many ways. To the point where you challenge your own bigotries, you challenge your own prejudices, you challenge your own discriminatory attitudes. 
You challenge discriminatory laws. You challenge discriminatory traditions. You challenge discriminatory policies. You challenge discriminatory institutions. You challenge discriminatory systems. You challenge discriminatory industries. You challenge discriminatory entities. Uh, You challenge discriminatory leadership. You challenge discriminatory follower followers and you challenge discriminatory organisms to me that's all that Christ likeness means you challenge weak mindedness you challenge small mindedness you challenge narrow mindedness you challenge judgmentalism you challenge self righteousness you challenge hypocrisy You challenge legalism. You challenge Pharisaism. You challenge churchianity. You challenge Christian nationalism. You challenge theocracies. You challenge state religions. Um, You challenge slaveholding religion. You challenge closed-mindedness. You challenge... holier than thou you challenge one track mindedness you challenge elitism you challenge favoritism and you um, you challenge Phobias. You challenge fears. You challenge hatred. You challenge bitterness. You challenge animosity. You challenge tribalism. Um, you challenge cynicism. You challenge defeatism. You challenge pessimism. You challenge nihilism. You challenge fatalism. You challenge cronyism. You challenge passive acceptance. You challenge resignation. You challenge acceptance. You challenge acceptance of the inevitable you challenge stoicism you challenge negativism you challenge negative thinking you challenge gloominess you challenge doom and gloom you challenge you chat you ch- challenge doom and gloom you challenge gloominess you challenge negative thinking you challenge negativism you challenge doom and gloom you challenge gloom you challenge predeterminism you challenge predestinarianism you challenge necessitarianism you challenge fate you challenge fatedness um I've also learned that um
a challenge um, what you have been taught so it can be alignment with with living in humane decency. I have learned to really be Christ-like um, that we have to challenge us versus them too. And then I have learned um, we have to challenge intolerance. We have to challenge the bare minimum. We have to challenge injustice. We have to challenge animal rights violations. We have to channel challenge human rights violations. And those are my definitions of Christ-likeness. And I would dare say that Christ-likeness is about the universality Oneness, maturity, and completeness. What does all those things mean? Well, when you are all of who you are, which is completeness, and when you are appropriate about each and every side of all of who you are, which is maturity, then you are inextricably bonding with all things you, then that means that that spreads to other people quite beautifully. And many people, many believers would ask me about they would ask me supernatural questions and I would say that um, I would say that there are 
natural world realities, but there are also extraordinary incidents that cannot be fully explained in terms of occurrences as well. So there are there are times in life that are one of a kind that even the natural world wouldn't be able to to totally comprehend. What does that mean? That there have been reports that may happen in the news where someone was about to get killed or dying a tragic death. It could be with a deadly weapon. It could be about to be ran over by a train or about to be hit by a car, hit by a bus, but no one can fully explain how are they able to get out in the nick, N-I-C-K, of time. Um, And no one can explain how are they able to shortly after wake up and all their senses work and all their eyes work and all their limbs work and they were considered to be vegetables but they turned out to um, defy the odds and they don't have any lingering health problems even though according to the medical world you're supposed to have a lingering health problems the rest of your life, and they don't. So there are things like that that happen to make me go, that's, even the, even the natural world gets superseded. And I do think that because in the natural world, whatever is predicted on you, that's what your sentencing is. But there are times where the natural world gets overruled and overridden, you override, and because not every incident is typical. You do have atypical realities out here. Also, let's get to the murder. So let's say someone was about to get killed and all of a sudden they don't remember how they got home. All they remember was a gun was pointed at their face and they wake up at home in bed and they don't know how they got there. And they don't know who got them there and what got them there. And they may hear later, oh, the person that was trying to kill you, um... ended up going to jail. But 
that can't be fully explained on how that happened. How was it that the cops were coincidentally there? Because no one called 911. Everybody was too afraid to. There have been stories where witnesses were too afraid to call the police because they were too scared to think of anything. They were just, they didn't know what to say or what to do. And no one called 911, but the cops were just driving on that street at the time of the attempted murder. And the cops apprehended that, got the, the person trying to kill. But again, no one called 911 and Things were happening so fast, the witnesses f- were in fight, flight, or fright, or freeze mode, and the cop just came through. Nobody told the cop to come, but the cops were doing their typical just driving. They weren't really looking for a suspect. It was, you know, how police drive, but you don't hear the sirens. They just drive, right? And when the sirens come, turn on is because oh we're seeing danger but that they weren't originally going to drive to the place of the attempted murder scene to arrest anybody it was um they were it was the police trying to get home they were like okay we're done for the day we're gonna go home and as soon as the guns pulled out the cops just drove before the trigger could be pulled and that person has no memory of anything else and they wake up, they're at home, they're asleep and the person is in jail and the witnesses didn't even fully explain everything. So there have been reports of that happening. And so there are parts of life that I'm just like, I'm astounded by, and it makes me speechless. I mean, not every incident is according to the natural world, because the natural world, none of that is supposed to happen any of the time. So what I'm saying to faith-based people is there are parts of life that that can't be wrapped up and put in a box. You know, life has its intricacies. So that's my stance on um, supernaturalism. Also, one more thing that I get to, to the miracles. I think that when it comes to like supernaturalism, I do admit that Life doesn't always go the way we plan it to go. Um, life is a zigzagger. It, and, and life can be all over the place. Because we think one thing, then something else happens. Or we do another thing, and this something happens. So life doesn't always march to the beat of our drums life has its own fluidity and flexibility um and 
life has the unexpected. Life is not always expected. So I can understand that when it comes to certain people, how they made it home. Like I've heard of stories of people being inebriated and they were driving and they wake up in their friend's home. They were about to crash into a car, but their car did not crash. And there was no injury on the inebriated person. They woke up and they were in, they were sleeping for more than eight hours. Like they were really, really just sleeping. And so they wake up and they're like, what am I doing here? They were inches away from from crashing into a car, but they woke up at their friend's home. So I don't fully understand why these things happen because there's... Okay, one more, then I'll get to miracles for other stuff. So also I've heard of stories of people, they were about to attempt suicide. They were about to jump off high-rise buildings. And they wake up in a car, right? Or they wake up at home, somebody's home. Or they wake up on the job. Or they wake up on a bus stop or a street. They just wake up. But there was no suicide. There was no leaping to their death. They woke up somewhere totally brand new. And in certain cases, I heard stories of people are trying to attempt suicide in one state in America, and they're in a totally different state. And they're like, how, okay, how did I go from this state to another state, or this is another city, or I'm in one neighborhood, I'm in another neighborhood, or I'm five blocks or a few blocks from my neighborhood, and... No one can fully explain how that happened. And after that, they got so much love from total strangers that they never tried to commit suicide ever again. I've heard of those types of stories just talking to people. And I was amazed at how even the natural world can't explain each and every life experience and each and every life reality. So I'm open to allowing the doubts to shape me well Allowing the skepticism, the skepticism to shape me well. And plus, it's a lot of people have said when they were about to get um, hit by a truck, this mysterious stranger out of nowhere swooped in at the perfect time. And they never saw the stranger again. 
and they couldn't understand how did this stranger know but I never met this person and they don't look like everybody else and they have this aura about them that it's just uncommon and they were able to swoop by and they knew they and these ter- this and this mysterious stranger talked to me as if they knew me weren't stalking weren't being a creeper and knew how I felt knew what was going through my mind and the way they talked to me this person wasn't even googling me or yahooing me they just were able to read my mind and my heart so well. And they were not creepy. They were not stalking. They were not intruding. They were not rude. They were not disrespectful. They were not harassing me. I was totally safe. I was totally sound. I I was totally protected by this person. And, you know, the way this person disappeared, I don't remember how they disappeared so fast I've heard of those type of stories from people who actually lived through the the experience they said they lived through so I can definitely see that life has so many parables to it do we understand all the parables that that have that life gives us in terms of the stories of many you know we don't know all the life we don't understand all the life lessons that we receive we just know that we receive them when I say parables I'm talking about there are there's wisdom within experiences we don't understand more than experiences that we do understand so life lessons are metaphorical metaphorical parables. Now let's get to the miracles because then um, I think in terms of miracles, a lot of people have overcome cancer. A lot of people have overcome stage one, stage two, stage three, and stage four illnesses. Some of these people were in bad health beforehand, but were, but were, but managed to live a very long life. And some of these people were in good health, still got the illnesses, and their doctors told them, You got two months, you got six months, you got a year, and they're still with us 30, 40 years later. And you also got people who smoke cigarettes, and they never get any cancer, they never get any heart attacks, panic attacks, and they live quite lengthy lives. So... 
the natural world would say if you smoke cigarettes quite heavily, you're supposed to die and not live long. That doesn't always happen. I'm not glorifying anything. I'm just telling you factually life experiences. Then you have some people who, okay, you were sexually abused. You're supposed to be this rapist, but most sexual abuse survivors do not sexually abuse nor rape. And that can't be fully explained. Um, You also have people who... um, You know, it could be, well, you come from the projects or you come from the hood and you're this scientist, this mathematician, this inventor, this historian, this theologian, this politician. That can't be fully explained because... All the pathologies of the neighborhood said that there would have been a statistic. And then you have some people who were born without limbs, but they have gone on to be leading scholars and... And the Nobel Peace Prize is waiting for them. You have people who were labeled in special education, but they are excellent entrepreneurs and excellent educators. They have some people born with birth defects and birth deformities, but they are the world's most best-selling authors and the greatest actors and actresses the world has ever seen. They do plays and movies that make people cry tears of joy. So, again, the natural world does have once-in-a-lifetime type of moments. Not to belittle the time, but once-in-a-lifetime type of undergoings. Um, I would say that Believers will ask me about life after death. I would say that... um, I would say that... Millions of people... Have 
claimed to have had near-death experiences and that they saw uh, beaming lights. They felt like they just woke up and they saw the reflection of what they called their souls and that they felt this inner peace whether they had or not on earth they felt this this overwhelming inner peace like no other and that they claimed to have um They were looking back at themselves on the operating table in the hospital. Their afterlife self was looking back at their earthly life self on the operating table with their eyes closed, being pronounced dead. And that they were sent back and forth to earth to warn people how to live correctly and that yes there's an afterlife this is what they have claimed I'm just telling you all the stories that have been published and that um, they woke up and they saw this they saw this Christ like supreme being looking at them and affirming them and embracing them, hugging them. And they claim to have um, been dead for a few minutes and were brought back to life. And they talked about what was what, what it was like to be temporarily dead. Um, so there are peop- millions of people saying these things. And then there are other people who... reject those experiences that other people have claimed to have had and there's some people who've never had any near-death life experiences at all so science has been probing this question for centuries and I've come to the conclusion that I am open to existing After I die, um, I prefer it to be with my grandma Claire in some kind of blissful paradise. That's what I'm open to. And, um... I would like for this blissful paradise for my grandma Claire that I'm open to to be of eternalness. And um, I'm just telling you my preferences and openness in terms of how I would like to live let's say 
the continuance of afterlife is true. I'm just speaking from a standpoint of my imagination. And I know there will be non-believers who ask me, let's say there's no afterlife, no paradise, no eternal blissfulness. How would you feel? I would say, well, I'm thankful for the lives that I helped change for the better while I was here. And I would say that I'm also thankful that I had a grandma who loved me and that I have the right people in my life who loved me, who became like my family. And I know the believers would step in and say, well, let's, you know, the believers would step in and say, let's say there is an afterlife. And... They would go heaven and hell. I would say heaven is for me because I am that on earth. So that's going to be me once I leave earth. I would, and they would ask me, I wouldn't accept Jesus to get there. I would say, well, the way I live never offends him the thoughts I think never offends him so he he would he doesn't have a problem with me in life so he wouldn't have a problem with me in the afterlife because I'm harmless internally and I'm also harmless externally so that's how I would look at it so I am I just look at the afterlife that way of I've always felt that somehow, some way I would have some kind of reuniting with my grandma. What how that entails is how that entails, but um I always felt that there there is some kind of way. Uh, and that belief has it's not something I fully know or fully understand and I can't fully prove it I know but um I've always felt that there's some kind of way to have some kind of contact in some form with your loved ones because I've always felt that goodness never fully dies that goodness always multiplies but um that's just my hopefulness kicking in um like I said to non-believers so there's no afterlife I would say that I was beautiful inside and out and that's all that mattered in my life But to finish up the life after death thing, I would think that um, 
I would say that life is not about duration. That life is about the perpetuation of the continuation of of neighborliness. Um, I am hopeful of eternal blissfulness with my grandma Claire, whatever paradise that may be. And there's nothing wrong with me believing that because um, I just love the concept. It's an adorable concept. I'm not going to lie. Okay, when it comes to um, um, Christ figures, I would say that... um, I can also understand why some non-believers um, say there's no afterlife because of science probing this question for centuries and there hasn't. had all the findings needed to validate life after death. I do think for me, though, that um, I've always felt that living is transcendental. And that um, I am making an educated guess of some sorts that, as I don't fully know, I don't fully understand, that's what I call educated guess, that when I leave Earth, my grandma Claire will be the first person that I get to commune with. Educated guess in this case because despite all the turmoil and turbulence of life, you can't kill was good natured about life and I always felt like that anything positive uh, alters form and formation because 
of the generations of goodness and greater goodness being done. Um, in terms of Christ figures, let's get back to that. I think that um, for me, I feel like that there has been stories of Christ figures within religions within within ancient Greece um And how did they come to those conclusions in the ancient days is beyond me. Because I don't fully know, which also means I don't fully understand. But, um... That... Maybe there was at least one. For people to come up with those concepts where they didn't have all the facts and evidence we have now for them to come up with that. I'm like, either had to be at least one or... Maybe there is a hero in us, maybe a combination of both. I feel like comes to the concept of a Christ figure the Christ figure has to be for equal rights for humans and animals has to be for equity of humans and animals. And um, the Christ figure 
cannot possess antagonism against those who are non-traditional. And cannot expect perfection out of the traditional too. So, in that regard, I would say that if I had to pick a Christ figure, that it would be all about... Animals and humans being conserved, protected, maintained, cared for, take care of, look after, safeguard, keep, as well as to and to shelter. And um, I would say the human rights and the rights Jesus that I I see an historical Jesus has these Buddha-like qualities that That fits the description of what a Christ figure should be, um, in my view. Um, I don't think a Christ figure would be the religious right because their definition of saving and salvation are all about we're awesome and everybody else sucks. To me, salvation is not about I'm on earth only because y'all are trash and I'm and if y'all weren't trash then I wouldn't be around you. I think what ancient people called salvation and being saved is also truly preservation and the metaphor of a mother bird hovering over her young in her nest for their whole bird family. So I think that preservation 
is more than just keeping you from saying ouch. It's also stimulating the full potential of your total wonderfulness. So I don't think that, uh, for example, believers are asking me about hell. I would say you must have a tyrannical heart to end up there. Most people don't fit that, so that concept does not apply to most people. And at the same time, voice felt like, hmm, is there a way you can have some kind of purgatorial pathway to heaven, you know, if you've If you've had some struggles you couldn't fully control, I mean, these concepts are weighty and I'm doing the best I can to be as logical as I can about them. Um, When I think about um, Christ's figure, I've always felt that It's not about Nan and Boo Boo. It's not about you suffer forever because you don't interpret Christ figure like me. Uh, I, I don't feel that way. I feel like that story was meant to show us that you strengthen goodness. You don't just keep goodness from badness, you know. Um, In regards to um, the evil and suffering question, I could see why that can make it hard for anybody to accept any supernatural concept that the religious texts promote. Um, the only thing I can say on that is I suffer with the oppressed as an oppressed person in the name of social justice. That's the only thing I can say about evil suffering because it's a tug of war in my heart at times, especially recovering from what I recover from at five. It's it's it goes in all kinds of directions at times. And I can see why like the problem of you know, some people feel like Hell could be a problem for some people because of they feel like finite must meet finite and infinite must meet infinite. How can you get the finite with the finite, the infinite? How do you get them together? I can understand that struggle. 
All I can say is, if you are a decent person, hell is not your issue. And if you're an indecent person, potentially got something to worry about. So as long as you're a good person, the concept doesn't apply to you. Don't don't even fret on it. And um, how could a loving God allow all this to happen? I wrestle with that too. The only thing I can say is is that um, we have to be each other's keepers. And then, um, because I can understand, you know, some people turning to God because of evil and suffering. Some people reject God, evil suffering. I get all that. Um, I just tell people, you know, Make life better as best you can. And then, um, supernatural agents, you know, angels, archangels, guardian angels, demons, archdemons, you know, Satan and God and ghosts and apparitions. I would say, when it comes to all those beliefs, I would say that, um, What causes people to feel a dissociation from their body, I don't fully know and understand. What a person allows to take over them, I don't fully know or understand. I would say that um, that there are forces of evil in the world. There are forces of good in the world. And that the total origins of these forces cannot be fully explained in life. And I would say that there are forces to protect. And there are forces to endanger. Um, And that's all I got to say on it, really. Um, I'm just telling you what I know. And um, I can understand why non-believers reject supernaturalism, um, apparitions, life after death, miracles, because science hasn't come totally unveiled everything. So, and I know that they have good intentions behind all the rejection of all these things because of the sensitivity of. I just want all the verification needed for directional evidence. So I do understand that and I um, am sensitive to that 
I um, that is if the it, it, it the, those are all valid points. Um, but for me, I look at these points. I go. I never rule out anything because this life is the only thing I fully know. The only, the only life that I'm. I have enough certainty on. I don't fully know or fully understand this life, but this life, I've, I, I, have enough certainty. Um, but um, I can see why believers embrace all these concepts. You know, supernatural apparitions, life after death, and miracles because of doing and the impossible and being the impossible are attractive traits and these are points of view that um, that I can comprehend why they landed on those perspectives Because of the love of answered questions. And I do respect believers and theists. The the human rights of believers and theists. I also respect the rights of non-believers and unbelievers. And I respect... um, Their humanity, just like the believers and theists. Um, Transcendental entities, I would say that that there's definitely um, Many position, many positions on the subject, and I would say that. Do we know all the living life forms? I don't think so. Or, science hasn't completely unveiled that just yet. But, is it possible there could be more than one life form besides animals and humans? It's possible. But um, I do say that we do have multiple life forms in life, and that's all I know. And I can see why non-believers reject transcendental entities and Christ figures and God figures because science hasn't unveiled everything. I also see why believers embrace these concepts because of the natural world not always going by its script because of the surprises and shock and amazement of life. So, 
I would say all these concepts can be figurative, all these concepts can be literal, and all these concepts can be figurative and literal. Which ones? Those are, you know, that's the journey I'm on. Um, and like I said, just because a concept is not literally true, that doesn't mean it's not figuratively true. And just because there are cons, just because there are concepts that are literal and consider figurative, it doesn't mean they can't be both figurative and literal. Some concepts are both figurative and literal. Some concepts are both figurative and literal. Like I said, some concepts are literal. Some concepts are figurative. So which ones to categorize in the Bible? That's my journey. I think that these are all strong possibilities, you know, transcendental entities and God figures, Christ figures, what have you. And, um... The last thing about religion is like houses of worship and religious texts and denominations. I would say that theological confusion is horrible. And I would say that when it comes to denominations, houses of worship and um, religious texts, um, I would say that um, I get why non-believers are it are uncomfortable with those things. I get why believers are comfortable with those things because there has been a history of social justice from these parts of life as well as social injustice from these parts of life too. Um, So, I would say that I do understand why non-believers are discomforted by the concepts of obey, trust, faith, belief, hope, blind faith, being a believer because of the love of peer review, trained expertise, verification, of proof and peer review trained expertise <laughs> verification of a lack of proof and I do understand why believers love those concepts because in, in believers minds hey I have to find and I have found what helps me stay a decent human being, a decent person. And on that, I just say live and let live. Um, um, and then getting back to denominations, houses of worships, houses of worship and religious texts. I live and let live on that, but I also say I can understand why each side, believe non-believers and non-believers, feel about those aspects of life the way they do because there has been a mixture of compassion, lacking compassion, care, lack of care, um, 
the weaponization of religiosity. And then there's people who have used faith to be drum majors for human rights. So I can see that being a very um, nuanced encounter, one of the nuanced encounters of life. And then, um, You know, I just feel like whether you've uh, practice a religion or not, no cults and no culture of cults. That's all I'm going to say. And um, seeing if there's anything else I need to cover. One more thing. Some people ask me about infallibility contradictions and inerrancy I would say that the only perfection in life is that we grow each and every day in our wholeness As for contradictions, I would say that we all have more than one side to us, which does not permit us to be hypocrites, meaning that we're phonies. No, 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 no. And I would say that um, as for absolute certainty, absolute truth, I would say the only absolute certainty that exists is that we don't know everyone 100% and we don't know everything 100%. And as for absolute truth, the only absolute truth is that we can't allow the uncomfortable parts of life, the negative parts of life, to keep us from being whole and at oneness with ourselves and each other. That's the only absolute truth. The religious definition of absolute truth is absolute certainty. To have one is to have the other. If you don't have one, you don't have the other. And uh, we don't need all the answers and we don't need all the facts to be of human decency. And... uh, As for the Trinity, that's the last thing I'll cover. I would say that I can understand why patriarchy hurts people. I could also see why believers may look at at it and go, how a good father should be to a good son. And, you know, the importance of good men because even believers understand that um, 
that male pigs are real. Um, on that subject, I would say that um, no teaching should be insensitive to the traumas of anyone and everyone. So, in closing, I say, I understand why believers embrace all these things. I also understand why non-believers reject all these things. All these things meaning all these religion-based concepts. And I would just say, regardless, All your convictions, all your beliefs, all your opinions, all your viewpoints, all your perspectives, and even all the knowledge that you have. I'm talking to non-believers and believers, and I say this. Just make sure that they all have human rights and animal rights as equitable equality. And now you get the full story of what makes me have all of my all of my lens of religion.